We can be found on YouTube, iTunes, and Spotify. Like, share, subscribe, and leave us a comment down below. Now, on with the show. Okay. We'll do it live. Okay. Fucking thing. We'll, no. we'll do it live. Right. Fuck it. This presentation of Death Holler is sponsored by Eric. Fuck Saunders. Enjoy the show. Death Holler is a horror cast created by two true horror fans to bring to the table your favorite horror films. Topics include, but are not limited to, historical horror, gore, the occult, and terror. Listener discretion is advised. All right, so uh, what have you been into in the spooky way recently? Uh, <laughs> I've been watching... You're going to make fun of me. <laughs> I've been watching clips of older Resident Evil games. Oh, no. Okay. Like, gameplay. <laughs> and specifically, I've been watching the um, the clips in relation to how to defeat the shark Neptune. And I forget which Resident Evil he's in, but there was basically, like, a shark tank that you had to walk through, and they had all these quotation mark zombie sharks which zombies scare the shit out of me mm-hmm. sharks scare the <laughs> shit out of me um so let's just put them together and by the way i'm watching this really really late at night just asking for my dreams to be terrible so uh <laughs> i did not have any strange dreams that night believe it or not i actually dreamt about like resident evil village even though i haven't watched any clips pertaining to that i've seen some news we'll talk about that later yeah um I I don't know why you would be looking that stuff up, but I don't remember of the Resident <laughs> Evils I played. I don't remember that being in there, so that might have been in one of the later ones, like Revelations or something like that. It took place on a boat. I don't know. I mean, I I kind of ducked out after four. That was kind of one of the better ones in the series, anyways. So I I didn't really see that. But you got to fight like a big lake monster in that one, so that was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I I had to give up after Code Veronica, so this had to be way later on. Um, Code Veronica really sent me into a panic attack, so um, I was ordered by the doctor to uh, to no longer play those games unless it was like daytime and I had people in the house or something. I don't know. It was pretty funny. <laughs> it's funny to talk about it now because I'm alive. So, ish. I'm alive-ish. I feel alive. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I feel like a total pansy because of the fact that I tried playing the Resident Evil 2 remake recently because that's one of my favorite ones in the series, and... It just the the intro scene where they they literally have you crawl under this like metal gate that's only like open just for, far enough for you to crawl under. You've got to crawl under that thing, go through this whole little you know dark section of the the police barracks or whatever, and then whenever all hell breaks loose and the zombies are breaking in from all sides on that area, you you have to get out of there. And when you rush to the end and you've got all these zombies that you can hear and see behind your person, you've got to get down on the ground and crawl out of there. While and it, I was just like, I'm out. I can't. I don't know what happened to me, I, but I just couldn't. I was like, I'm, that's a nightmare fuel right there. <laughs> I don't. What is wrong with us? I don't know. I mean, I can watch movies all day long, but when it comes to the games, it's just like, I mean, I'm, I'm too into it. I'm I'm, in, I'm the character at that point, so. Well, there's so many options for jump scares in games, which is the big, that's the big lingo that's being used. Jump scares, jump scares. My kids fucking love jump scares, so that's the big thing with games, but. Yeah. Yeah, it's what? it's a little. Oh, it's, it's I was just gonna say it's a little worse in that game because I did play it a little bit more after that, and I came across my first like lone zombie in the game, and I went to do the classic headshot in there, and just like I'll just pop this one in the head and be done. Um, that doesn't work in the remake. Like you can you can pop off like all the headshots that you want until the clip is empty, and they'll still come after you. So. That's when Wait, I get what. So how do you kill them? <laughs> uh, when they take enough damage of whatever whatever the game decides the damage is, I had to, I think I shot the guy like th- that is wrong. Yeah, I shot the guy like three the zombie like three times, and then like it was still coming after me, and I was like you know rushing in there with a knife, you know, and it bit me a couple times, and finally it went down after the after a few knife attacks, and I was just like, yeah, I'm not dealing with this. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. You got bit. So basically, you're done. You know that, right? Well, not... according Not, not to according to the game, but in the movies, yeah, you're, you're done. Yeah, according to the Romero logic, I was done. So yeah, that was the end of that one. I'm going to hate zombie season. <laughs> I'm telling you. That is going to be... That's going to be the end of me. 
but um as far as what i've been doing uh last night i i literally went to watch a new horror film that just came out and that would be the unholy um it is uh you know a possession type film that just came out so i thought it was appropriate for this season a little bit to kind of just watch it and see what's going on with it um one of the bigger draws about the movie is it stars one of our favorites jeffrey dean morgan papa winchester oh yeah and it's kind of funny because he's um he's a uh he's a, a newspaper reporter but he, he writes for like one of those like cheesy rags or whatever, you know, like the examiner or something like, you know, like one, just like something that, you know, tabloid esque that. Um, OK, that makes way more sense because newspapers are pretty outdated at this point already. Well, it's the it, tabloids are like for fucking up. Well, it's I mean, it's 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 an online tabloid. So, I mean, it's it's not oh, really, okay. you know, just in print, but. And he's doing that because the movie kind of reveals that he was an actual reporter at one point in time, but he was well known for fabricating some of his stories. So he got booted out as being a legit, you know, professional. And um, then he went on to be, you know, basically that. But he's one of those guys that just goes out and seeks like supernatural stories because they're the ones that get the most clicks. And I just think it's Mm, funny uh because... How convenient. Yeah. (laughs) I just think it's funny that, you know, Jeffrey Dean Morgan is hunting down supernatural stories. (laughs) And it's even like he's investigating the the whole thing a little bit. I mean, it, it's it's like an alternate world John Winchester if you if you watch this movie because it's like you know what if John Winchester was a kind of a scumbag that was out for himself and exploiting the supernatural for his own benefit. <laughs> you know the fans are gonna they're gonna fucking lose it because I know I'm excited. We talked a little bit so they're going to fucking lose their shit. And it's going to be, they're just going to, even if it's a complete opposite character of John Winchester, they're still going to imagine him as John Winchester. Yeah. It's like an alternate reality version of him or something that it's like a, a kind of in my head canon. Whenever I watched like say the Friday, the 13th remake that had uh, Jared Padalecki in it, uh, it's got enough closeness that his character is Sam that, it's almost like a, you know, like a dream version of Sam Winchester or like an alt, you know, off-world version of him, like one of those alternate universe uh, Sams. And so this one in my head canon is officially, it's John Winchester, but by, you know, just like a another reality version of him. Um, there's a few more people in the movie that I was kind of interested that, that was in it. Uh, we have uh, William Sadler, who... He, he played death in the in Bill and Ted, the, the bogus journey. I mean, he's been in a ton of other stuff. <laughs> I discussed he was in that VFW film whenever I was discussing it. And uh, he plays like a priest in the movie. And um, let me see here. I'm trying to bring it up. We have the, we have Carrie Elwes. I don't know how I forgot this, but we have, you know, the princess bride Carrie Elwes is like one of the characters in the movie. <laughs> and, uh, and then we have, I mean, uh, Katie Asselton's in there. She's, I, I kept going through the whole movie not knowing where I saw her from. Then I realized that after years of watching The League, which was an FX, uh, an FX uh, comedy series about like this, uh, you know, fantasy football league or whatever that was actually really funny. She was like one of the stars on that. And I was just like, why do I know this person? Like, you know, through the whole film. And it finally, finally I had to look it up and found out who it was. But um, the uh, actress who plays the main character of Alice, goes by the name Cricket Brown. I, I don't know who she is, but she's actually a pretty good young actress. So I, I thought that was a good part. And it's it's got a tw- it's got a good twist on the lore. I'm not going to go into, because that's my favorite part of the movie, is the lore they go into. They kind of create like a, oh, yeah. a different way, of, a different type of monster, if you want to, if you want to look at it that way, it's, I'll, I'll spoil it a little bit and say it's witch based, but it's like the, you know, because it starts out, that's the very first scene in the movie is that they're burning a witch at the stake or uh, to a tree actually. And then they bind her soul into this doll. So you got a little bit of the creepy doll stuff. You got a little bit of the witch stuff. And then, then it kind of leads into possession later. So it's, it's all wrapped up into one and it's kind of like a neat little twist of lore that I've never seen in a movie before. The only problem I had with the movie is the fact that the CGI for the the main villain uh, is terrible. Like I don't know, oh, it says sucks. it says Sam Raimi and Rob Tappert uh, or Taggart uh, who were over the Evil Dead series were the ones that helped produce this movie. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they allowed. I mean, like there's certain scenes where they did a good job on the monster. 
But then, like other scenes, like it's that quick. Like I, I want to equate it to the ring. You know what I'm talking about? Like the little girl comes out of the well, and she's got like just the quick turns of her body, and she's doing all this contortion, yeah. this crap or whatever. It's that, but it's like poorly done with CGI. I don't know. I just didn't care for that. And then they go for a lot of jump scares that don't really pay off because you're, if you're, I mean, if you're new to horror films, then maybe they work for you. But I mean, I'm sitting there and like one scene, like Jeffrey Dean Morgan's like looking at this video on his screen or whatever, and he's already seen some kind of artifacting, you know, in the corner that could be the possessed, you know, the, the monster appearing or something. You're what, and, and it, as a horror fan, I was like, okay, it's coming. She's going to jump out of the screen, and then, you know, and then it happens. So I'm just like, Okay, you know. Oh, so it was predictable. <laughs> yeah, and that's the that's the worst part about it because they, there's only like there was one scene that kind of got my my heart thumping a little bit. They they kind of pulled a little fake out at at one scene where you were looking in one direction and they come in from another and that kind of got me, but the rest of the jump scares were just I mean, you were just sitting there waiting for them. It's like, okay, I see it. It's coming. It's coming. Oh, there it was. Okay, you know, moving on to the next thing. So, if it wasn't for the actors that held the movie together and the fact that it's just fun to it's see Jeffrey Dean. It's been a big thing lately. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if it wasn't for the actors. Not, not in our films, but in, in films in general as of recent. Yeah. I feel. Uh, yeah. And the, the, it's got a neat story. It's kind of, I mean, there's parts of it that are by the books a little bit, but the, if, if it wasn't for the lore that they were created for the monster and the acting, I, it would have been completely just like, you know, pass it on by. But I think it's worth a watch. I, I wouldn't necessarily own it. I'll put it that, out there that way. Uh, but it was enough to where I was like, hmm, that was, that was a decent film, you know, so it's, it's worth it. You a, almost have to have my kind of fear to really get a lot out of those films, because I can tell you right now, it's out in theaters, out in our area, believe it or not. California has theaters open. Shocker. <laughs> Probably only allowing five people per theater, so we'll just rent the whole theater for the day, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, and I can say that my daughter and my husband sounds like they will not be impressed by it at all. But me and my son will probably be like holding our feet up on the chair, like "Oh shit!" <laughs> <laughs> I think I think anybody who is a fan of supernatural would would enjoy it just for seeing Jeffrey Dean Morgan because he, I mean, he I don't know. I mean, I'm not putting this out there as he doesn't have range because Negan is a different character than John Winchester, obviously. But this character is literally so close in certain ways, like when, especially with the way his mannerisms and some of the things he does. He There's actually one scene in the movie where I, I marveled a little bit at this <clears throat> because of the fact that he says a line and it sounds like something Dean would say. It's almost like father oh and God. son imitating each other. And it, I was just like, and it, I was just like, oh man, that's kind of neat in a way. So, um, wait, I got a question. Does okay in the film is he very very brave? I know you said he kind of investigates what's going on. Is he brave or does he get scared easily because this is like unknown shit to him? He he's he's more brave i mean he's he's in the movie he's i mean he doesn't he's a such a skeptic that he doesn't believe for most of it so it, i don't know if you'd call it bravery or just being you know naive but then like whenever it comes push comes to shove he steps up and does what he has to do so it's almost like yeah. you know like john winchester was in the in supernatural well, there is a comic book um, called Supernatural Origins, which I did read. And it was basically the origins of John Winchester and how he became the way he was. And when he was first running into the supernatural in general, he was just like, fuck. Like, it was like he knew about it because of what he was doing in his origin story. But he was still surprised like, like and terrified. So... That almost would have been not, I mean, look at, here I am comparing John Winchester to <laughs> Jeffrey Dean Morgan's character, but I'm like, it'd be kind of a little different. We didn't get to see that in Supernatural, the show, so it would have been kind of cool in this movie, he would have been less John Winchester-y, unless you're into the expanded universe, if they had made him a little bit more afraid. But I guess skeptical is a good character trait for this type of film. Yeah, I mean, he... He doesn't believe in anything he's doing. He's doing it all for a paycheck. So he's he's kind of a scumbag, mm, okay. you know, to start out with, and then it kind of he it's 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 kind of the hero story later on. It's like the scumbag is sees you know kind of you know some of the stuff that's going on. So he kind of is forced into uh, un, you know against his will to kind of go on this journey, and then you know he he does the right thing at the end. So yeah, it seems kind of strange though that. With the whole 
COVID-19, typically editing and doing CGI, usually you can do that in a room without other people around you being at risk. So it seems kind of strange. Maybe budget-wise they couldn't afford it, or I'm just wondering why they couldn't have gotten that down and having so much time. And who knows, because this film was actually a pretty big secret. Like, I didn't know about it for a long time. I didn't know about it until literally last month, whenever I started seeing it pop up on YouTube. But, I mean, as far as the... As the CGI goes, don't get me wrong. It's not like early '90s CGI. It's not like you look at it and you look at like your, you know, the Haunting is is the worst example. I know, I know you like the 1990s Haunting, and we'll get into that in another season. But I, I, the CGI on that is god off. Looks like a PlayStation Two maybe era, you know, graphics. This movie didn't look anything like that. It looked like it would be on a modern Xbox, but it still looked fake. You know what I'm saying? It had that that gloss to it that was. I was yeah. just like, uh, you know, it looked like a video game character, uh, not not an old, you know, like an old '90s video game character, but a modern one. And I'm just, it, it looked. Uh, I'll put it this way: uh, getting into the story, we'll get in later. It 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 if this character was in Resident Evil the Village, you wouldn't bat an eye. It would look like it was meant to be there. So. <laughs> Okay. Okay. And with that, I think we I hear somebody at the door, so cue the music. Cue in the music. Welcome back to Death Holler. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. Death, and joining me, as always, is my co-host and the unrepentant spirit of a moral, morally corrupt lawyer, La Urena. How are you doing, <laughs> La Urena? I'm doing much better now with that intro. <laughs> <laughs> um, today, we're finishing up our Nephilim trilogy with a film about lawyers, moral corruption, and the price of free will. Join us for our discussion of the 1997 horror thriller, The Devil's Advocate. Cue the music Wait, for what? attack. Of the- <laughs> <laughs> cue, the, cue the music for attack you of the bees. Okay, cue in the music. What is that? What is that? What is it? Oh no! Not the bees! Not the bees! Ah! Out of my eyes! First up, however, well, let's uh, do a little attack of the bees. Uh, recently, I got to enjoy a, a little independent film that I, that uh, kind of fit into our whole discussion that we've had going on this season, and uh, even had a, a surprise actress show up in the film that uh, that fits in with our special presentation about the chilling adventures of Sabrina. It's a, a 2015 horror thriller film uh, by the name of the the Black Coat's Daughter. Um, principal players in this movie is Kiernan Shipka, uh, who plays Catherine. Of course, she was Sabrina in, in Chilling Adventures of Sabrina and also in Mad Men, as we covered before. Uh, Emma Roberts is in this. She plays the character of Joan. And, of course, she's been in most of the American Horror Stories. Uh, she was in one of my personal favorites from that same, same director, Ryan Murphy, uh, Scream Queens. And uh, she was in a kind of a thriller movie called Nerve. And then, uh, of course, a lot of people know her from the comedy We Are the Millers. Um, Another actress in this film that I wasn't really familiar with uh, was uh, Lucy Boynton. And she plays a character of Rose. She was in an independent film called The Apostle, which is like a cult uh, you know, evil cult film. Like, there was an, it it almost, the the description for it, whenever I read up on it, was kind of like, um, uh, like the the wicker man funny enough for attack of the bees but uh it was like this this police officer's investigating something he has to go to an island where there's a, a cult involved um and then she was in another movie called uh, don't knock twice which was about a demonic witch which kind of fits in with a lot of stuff we've been discussing and uh her most mainstream movie has been bohemian rhapsody um and then rounding out the cast of the people who, I mean, there was more people in the film, obviously, but the people I recognized was uh, James Remar, and he played Bill, and he was one of the main characters in The Warriors, the, the you know, 80s cult classic. I guess it was 70s. It was right on the verge. Uh, he was in Dexter, uh, you know, which kind of fits in with the horror theme. 
And uh, what I recognized him from was Black Lightning. He was in—he's one of the main uh, supporting characters in that uh, TV show on the CW. So I thought that was kind of interesting to see him in this. Um, the plot of the film—it uh, kind of fits in with all we've been discussing. It's these uh, two students, Joan and Rose, uh, are at a Catholic boarding school called the Bramford Academy, which. It what, what? Yeah, wasn't that the name of the 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 home in real life for or the the building where Rosemary's Baby was based on? Wasn't that the Bramford? Yes. Okay. It was the Bramford. Okay, that's what I thought whenever I saw that. So, anyways, the the Catholic boarding school, the Bramford Academy. Uh, the, these two students are left there during a, a, a week long school break. Whenever most of the other students are supposed to be leaving, their parents all come to pick them up. Uh, these two uh, students were unfortunately left behind. Um, Rose, uh, her specific reason why she was uh, left or not picked up by her parents was because she never actually called them and reminded them about, uh, you know, needing to, you know, be picked up because she may or may not be pregnant uh, with her uh, unexpectedly with her boyfriend and uh, she doesn't want to tell her parents that. So she's, you know, kind of ducking them a little bit. So she, you know, that's the reason she's left behind. But then Catherine or, you know, Shipka's uh, parents, they don't show up at all, and there's no reason why they they don't. Uh, she ends up having like a dream a little bit later in the film. Well, it's not too much later; it's like near the beginning, but uh, and it's kind of a premonition that they were both killed in a car accident. And it kind of hints oh, later that maybe that actually is what happened to them, and that it's it's kind of strange that she she actually dreamed that that's what the reason was. Um, but this academy. Uh, some of the students in the school ha- have whispered rumors that the the nuns who work there are Satanists. So that kind of sets like the the whole background, you know, that there might be something going on. And uh, anyways, Rose is uh, being the older of the two is is put in uh, is put in charge of making sure that uh, Catherine is taken care of uh, while the nuns, you know, because the nuns are, you know, they're just a bare staff left there to kind of you know make sure that the schools, you know maintained while everybody's gone and so while she's trying to take care of Catherine Catherine starts exhibiting some weird like just I don't know uh, like facets to her personality she begins stalking like uh, silently stalking Rose like she'll look around and she's been staring at her forever for no reason Um, there's a scene in the movie where she begins like I believe it's like she starts talking in tongues and then she starts like, uh, and like uh, whenever they're eating with the nuns later on and like she begins like projectile vomiting everywhere, you know, kind of that whole Jesus thing. Christ. And of course there's this real weird scene that, that definitely sets everything up where Rose happens to be looking for Catherine. She can't find her anywhere. And then of course, uh, Shipka's character, when she does find her, is down in the basement in the boiler room. And she is like doing this chanting and like, you know, uh, like it looks like a prayer type thing where she, you know, like, you know, up and down with her arms, you know, as she's kneeling and, uh, she's talking to somebody there that, that, that isn't there. And so, it just kind of goes on from there. I'm not going to spoil what happens afterward, but like she just progressively gets worse. Catherine does. Like she gets sicker. Like she, you know, starts like talking weird things. And the and the and the funny, well, and the interesting thing about this is it's told uh, in two different ways. It's told initially from Rose's perspective, and then you go and you see Catherine's perspective later. Like the the movie has like a break in the middle where it goes to Joan's part, which I'll get into in a minute. But then whenever it comes back, it's talk. It shows Catherine's. And it's more overt about showing some of the stuff she's actually seeing because there is somebody she's talking to. And so it kind of goes into that. Oh, shit. That's badass. Yeah. And uh, and Joan's story is interesting because at first it looks like it has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. She is this uh, young girl who's just got out of a mental institution. Uh, doesn't say I don't I don't think it says if she was actually released of her own accord or if she broke out. But anyway, she's just like at, at like a bus stop type situation. She's she's wanting to go back to this certain area, which happens to be the Brantford Academy, and uh, she, or at least that general area, and uh, that's whenever uh, uh, James Remar's character Bill happens to pick her up. Him and his wife are on their way to that general area, and it happens to be the anniversary of his daughter's death. So he, you know, either due to that, you know, feeling just kind of, you know, morose about that or whatever, he, he sees this young girl that, that for whatever reason kind of, you know, 
triggers some sympathy, and so he offers this, you know, stranger a ride, even though his wife is not too keen on it. And um, it with her story, it's kind of interesting because at first it kind of looks like Bill might have like ulterior motives because he's a little too, I don't know, like he, he, he comes in the room without his wife whenever he like, you know, pays for her to have her own like little motel room at one scene and he's in there with her and I don't know, it, it, it starts going down a path where you think that it's like, okay, he's going to molest her or something like that, but then it backs off and then, you know, he reveals that, you know, his daughter died and that sort of thing. And then where it goes from there is it starts showing Jones like past or whatever. And she's had all these run-ins with like police and some other stuff. And, and so it's kind of interesting when it eventually does intertwine with the main story. It's just kind of, it's, it's a neat little twist on what actually happened. Um, and spoiler alert, her real name's not Jones. So that, you know, that's a little, you know, part of the twist. I'm so surprised. <laughs> um, if I was, I mean, I, it's if I had to give this movie like a, you know, our traditional Nicolas Cage rating, there's really nothing to compare it to because we know Nicolas Cage doesn't do really slow burns. I mean, he, if he can't choose scenery, he don't want to do the movie. Um, <laughs> the closest movie I could think of that it might be is Mandy, which is like one of his newer films. It's kind of, I don't know, got a little bit of Lovecraftian stuff in it at certain points in the movie, but and it's kind of like about this weird cult, but it, for the first part of the movie, it is a slow burn because it's just him and Mandy setting up their relationship, and so it kind of has that vibe to it. I mean, it's a lot of scene building for a lot of the movie, and there's some stuff going on, and, you know, but unlike Mandy, which really ramps up and never looks back, I mean, that movie goes balls to the wall and goes crazy like all Nicolas Cage <laughs> movies. Black Coat's daughter is a slow burn throughout the whole thing. I mean, there's not really many jump scares. It's more like psychological and a lot of it's, you know, uh, an atmosphere as far as uneasiness. You're trying to figure out what the hell's actually going on with Catherine, how Joan figures into all of this. And the ending doesn't really fix any of that either because when, it, I mean, the ending does have more of a, more of a, you know, out there vibe to it as far as what a horror, I mean, more of a traditional horror movie you would expect. But then, it, it kind of ends on a question. It's like, wh what did I just see? What's going on with this character type thing? So you got to be willing to put up a little bit of that. Um, I, I personally think it's a great film, but it's you you have to be willing to put up with an uh, uh, like I said, a slow burn. And I know Urena that you you're not necessarily a fan of those. Uh, that is, it's got to be tough because I love psychological horror. That's my favorite thing. And seeing a film from di different perspectives, especially when you see something in one, but you don't see it in the other, fucking blows my mind. But then you're telling me the slow burn, and I'm like, do I hate it already? I haven't even seen it. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I would, as far as how much of a slow burn it's got compared to the one I know you didn't like with the, you know, the House of the Devil, because... Uh, yeah, the House of the Devil didn't have, you know, a whole lot of the actual, you know, horror stuff until like maybe the end. This does have it in the middle. Yeah. This, I mean, I'm not going to lie. This movie has the horror stuff right in the middle of the movie. Before it breaks away from Rose's story, you get like a cap on that story. And then you go back and you see Catherine's version of it. So it doesn't leave you. Yeah. It doesn't leave you hanging in that way. So you might enjoy it. How do I watch this? <laughs> How did you watch this? Uh, I saw it on Netflix. I don't know if you... Okay. So, oh. Yeah. I have Netflix. Yeah, it's it's on there. I was going to rewatch it, and then I realized I temporarily let Netflix lapse. So <laughs> I knew... I remembered enough about the movie, though, that I figured I could cover it well enough. And I didn't want to reveal yeah. it anyways. I mean, it, it really... I really do think that it's a good little independent film. It's And, it, and it's neat seeing uh, Shipka in this, because I don't know if they took her acting in this as any kind of, you know, audition tape or whatever for... Sabrina, but if if they didn't, that's on them because it it I I could see one leading into the other. I bet you they did. I I mean I don't know why they wouldn't have honestly. So I mean I just thought that was uh I was really when I saw that I was like well that's that's interesting and and she doesn't look that much younger than she did when Sabrina started. So I mean it's kind of like a neat little I don't know we we were talking earlier in the you know just the kind of you know chat about the you know, Jeffrey Dean Morgan alternate universe thing. If you want to look, this as like a chilling adventures of Sabrina, you know, uh, like alternate universe at, I, you know, head cannon wise, that probably wouldn't be that far off because I mean, you know, in that, you know, she has dealings with the devil and all that. And then this one, you know, something's going on possession wise, at least that's what it's looking like to Rose. So there's all that going, you know, to kind of feed into it. Yeah. 
But Alrighty then. With that, I guess we'll just transition over into the news. <laughs> no, no. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. First up, we have to address this at the, the seasons, the devils in the details. We can't leave this out. Little Lil Nas X and his devil shoes. <laughs> so I don't know what is up with that. <laughs> so this, if anybody doesn't know, I don't. I, you've not been on the internet, obviously, but the rapper and singer of such well-known classics as Old Town Road. Uh, and I say that jokingly, recently released an unofficial line of Nike Satan shoes. Um, The shoes in red and black colors, obviously, uh, featured bronze pentagrams and inverted cross and were reportedly made with a drop of blood from the workers who assembled them. Um, That is gross. (laughs) That is gross and probably a health violation. Um, That's what I was thinking. Uh, yeah, I don't know how, but anyways, it, so anyway, it was a boutique like shoe manufacturer who agreed to do this for him, and of course, it was done in a limited run of what number six six six. You know, couldn't get away from that. Um, my eyes just rolled back so far to the back of my head; they came back full circle. Now, I heard somebody on the internet make the debate that Lil Nas did this to uh, just uh, trigger people and to get more internet hits or whatever, and I. I don't know that I can disagree with that because I really think that he that he just this was like a promotional thing. I mean, because it tied into he he has some kind of new video or music video where he it plays the devil or has something to do with the devil. So this just like feeds into itself. It's like self promotion. Um, the story I got behind it was that it was his way of basically beating down all his haters and how he was terrified to come out because he's a gay rapper. Yeah, um, yeah. Which they're saying they're t- up until this point, I like had no issue. I, I thought, wow, he's a fucking gay rapper. You really don't hear a lot about that. And I do like his music, right? I mean, I'm not going to stop listening to the songs that I've liked, but I'm like, this is a bit over the top. And everyone's like, you're just proving his point by showing how terrified you are of him and how weird you think of it. And I'm like, it's fucking weird. Okay. Fuck the devil part. You're putting blood in shoes. That's weird. Yeah. I mean, like going back to our exorcist discussion, if you want to leave out any, like I was, you know, all the rest of that movie doesn't really scare you at all. But then that whole scene where they're drawing the blood up with the old seventies way of doing it, the blood squirting out of the, you know, Regan's neck or whatever at one point. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you know, the blood thing is, is, is out there. You know, and power to the people who really think they're supporting a cause by this. I can't believe that Nike allowed this to go forward. Like, who green-lighted this shit? Well, funny you would say that, because since the outcry about the shoes, Nike has put out a total recall on them and is giving a full refund to anybody who purchased them. Now, having said that, and I don't, I mean, they're not anything that I would want to have, because you invite evil in, you get evil. That's, you know, that we've discussed this before on the show. But if you've got those shoes... And there was only a limited run, and there, you know, and some people might send some of that limited run in. You better be keeping those things. They're going to be sending some of your kids to college someday. Now that those kids might grow horns or something later, but that's a whole other argument, you know. Yeah, it comes with like a little. I'm looking at them right now. They kind of look like they kind of look like Skechers shape up shoes a little bit. Or I don't know if you remember back in our day, lugs those big old. <laughs> Thick, chunky type boots that were supposed to be super cool. Yeah. And then they have like a little um, keychain that's on the shoes. They're, they're, shoes don't even tie up anymore. I don't know how our children are supposed to learn how to tie shoes. But Satan does not require you to tie your shoes. They're just, just bungee cord <laughs> types. And they have like a little pentagram on them, which is, it's actually, well, the angle it's at right here, it's a, it's a pentagram. But if it turns, it's going to be a pentacle, So yeah, get- meaning it will offer protection. Yeah, I was getting ready to say, I didn't know what your uh, interpretation of that was, because I know you brought it up on uh, you know previous podcasts about uh, the pentacle versus pentagram debate. I didn't know if they officially went the right way or wrong way, depending upon your view, and made it the, the pentagram they intended it to be. If you're looking down at your feet, if you are wearing the Satan shoes and you're looking down at your feet, you're being protected. If I'm standing towards you and looking down at your shoes while you're wearing them you're worshiping the devil so (laughs) it's all in how the viewer sees it honestly okay well that's fair enough um any other comments about the shoes before we move on to the next topic i don't i yeah i do it's that 
I, I understand you're trying to make a point. And I, this was a great way of getting all kinds of media of attention like that. I think that's amazing. I mean, no better way of capturing people's attention than with a little satanic panic, if you will. I, I was getting ready to say that was the one thing I was going to make the comment on was it proves that satanic panic is still alive and well and has never left us. <laughs> I don't really see anybody being like, oh, my God, it's the devil. I, there's definitely people out there that are. That's not what's making the news, though. What's making the news is he's trying to prove a point about being gay in this society and how everybody is anti-gay and the devil is really, you know, <laughs> he's trying to defeat the devil. The, def the devil is his fear inside of, you know, being gay. And I'm like, I didn't get that at all. All I heard was blood in the shoes and you lost me. No, I, I mean, and it depends on your view of it too. I feel like he's more trolling like conservatives who he kind of probably blames for, uh, you know, uh, oppressing him somewhat whenever. And, and I mean, that stuff happens. So, I mean, I, I would understand him holding some kind of bitterness or anger against people who he might've felt kept him in the closet. But I feel this is more him getting his, uh, you know, a slap back against those basically. I mean, it was, you know, he, he's, he's going after the ones trying to get them all up in arms that, you know, at one point in time kept him in the closet because of their, uh, their fear then. Hey, it, more power to you if this worked for you. I hope you got your piece. Yeah. Um, Nike's recalling these shoes. Lo siento, muchacho. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, let, let's move on. What's the next news topic? Oh, well, this one's a, the one that you'll enjoy. Uh, more details about <laughs> Resident Evil The Village. Um, IGN recently revealed the map for the upcoming game, and it shows a number of locations players will be visiting in the eponymous village. Um Shown uh, in, in, in this village are a factory, windmills, a reservoir with the image of a giant monster inside. So we get another lake battle, um, uh, apparently, uh, or something similar. and Or maybe zombie shark. Maybe there's a huge Meg-sized you know, zombie shark in that tank. Who knows? Uh, or in that reservoir. <laughs> and then of No! <laughs> and then, of course, Castle D Demestru, or however you say it, Dimitrescu. I'm going to go with it's Dimitrescu. Uh, I don't th there know. You go. That's how I would interpret it. You, you can say it, that, uh, then. <laughs> Dimitrescu or Dimitrescu, I have no idea. I'm throwing a little Spanish in there. I'm trying to make it sound a little Russian. <laughs> I have. I forgot where they said this village was. We did have a... It's European. Oh, it That's was, all they um, would say, I, I think. Okay. So, yeah, that's what I'm going to go with. I've never actually read the name or heard it read yet. So, so and, and of course, that, that last, the castle is the home of the lady by the, with the same name, who uh, we all know is the iconic, tall, razor-clawed uh, vampire villain of the, the, the movie that likes to show her big breast. So, you know, there you go. That's the, not how I would describe her. The, the big titty vampire lady, as you, you told me when you the sent this message. The big titty vampire lady, yes. <laughs> and I'm going to be honest with you. When I read this article, I did not look at the maps. There is a part of the article where there are literally six different images of how they drew her, her costume, uh, doorways kind of to... I don't know, to give the impression of how tall she really is, because if you see some of the um, some of the gameplay that's out there that's available, you literally see her ducking pretty low to get into some of these doorways. And um, there's pictures of other vampires, too, and these are some sexy-ass vampires. I'll tell you what. <laughs> Ugly in the face, but, man, they have quite the body. Their outfits are impressive. Um I, I want this game. <laughs> you know what that almost reminds me of? That your description of that. That reminds me of those nurses from like uh, Silent Hill. I believe it was part two, where you know the main character. Oh yeah. I, I think it was real at the end that the main character was kind of a um, uh, horn dog, and they, like he had raped somebody, and that's the reason you know that he kept seeing all these lusty looking, like you know, creepy nuns. Lusty or, I mean, or and nurses. busty. Yeah, nurses or whatever. But like their faces were just like this, you know, wrapped up, you know, mummified mess or whatever like bloody rags but like their bodies were you know so that that kind of reminds me of what you're discussing there um it, yeah and it's actually there is a photo where um one of these um vampires it looks it's hard to see um i can't tell if it's showing her mouth and her hair is just covering or if she does have a wrapped up mummified face of sorts, but the body is showing she's a little more conservative than those hooker ass nurses <laughs> from Silent Hill. Um, she definitely is more covered up. There's no cleavage. There's a little drop at the neck, a little V-neck. Uh, it looks like she's got some kind of bodice that cinches the waist a little bit. And 
everything, probably making the, you know, shape show pretty well. Oh, it's a hood. That's over her face. Okay. Hood over the face, and then she's just got a scary-looking mouth. But it was a blurry enough image that, oh, look, there's the big titty vampire ducking down the hallway. I'll have to send this to you so you can see what I'm looking at. But, yeah, um, you know, the movie, too, Silent Hill. And this would be a cool movie if they made uh, this Resident Evil village out of a movie. To be honest with you, that'd be interesting. I'm looking forward to that one we but, mentioned. Uh, Silent Hill. I was gonna say. Oh, I was gonna say. I was looking forward to that animated film that that uh, I believe it was Netflix that we that I mentioned about in one of the previous news segments or whatever. I'm because it's it's yeah. it's it's the same. I mean, it's Resident Evil Four adjacent, so it's it it might have some of the same things you're getting out of the village. Because reading about this, this kind of reminds me of like a Redux or a redo of you know Res, Resident Evil Four because it was set in a you know secluded European village, but it had you know more of the parasitic worm like like, you know, stuff going on as opposed to the vampire stuff. Yeah, this is more of a, like, uh, I don't know, not Castlevania, Transylvania. <laughs> Vampire-themed-looking type thing. Um, but, yeah, the I was going to say in Silent Hill, the vampires, did they have to make those nurses boobies so jiggly <laughs> every time they moved? That was definitely on purpose. I know what you're doing. I, well, since we're going back to that, I, I I think I misspoke. I think it was the 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 character you were playing in part three. Whenever you face Pyramid Head, because he's kind of like phallic shaped or something. I think that was the character that was the one that was all rapey or whatever that you find out at the end. I think your main character in part two, his wife was dying of cancer, and he was maybe like at least mentally cheating on his wife with like some of the nurses that were around, and that's the reason you had the oh. lusty looking nurses because they were the ones that were around him while he was you know watching his wife die of cancer or whatever. It's it's a te- well. If they were dressed like that with their boobies jiggling all over the place, can you blame the poor man? Well, I think there's supposed to be a representation of like his, uh, you know. know, like what his his thought. Of yeah, what his thought every of what man has those thoughts about those nurses. Okay, no matter what, they they could be covered head to toe. But yeah, if they came in there at least a bit, you know, like those, then who would blame him? Honestly, at that point. <laughs> um, the only other th- it's true. The only other thing I was going to say about the village is, and this caught my attention because the rest of that's okay in my opinion. But I thought it was interesting that they revealed that there's going to be another, maybe overarching villain to this uh, by the name of Mother Miranda, and, it, and she's kind of like a religious figure that everybody in the village worships. So I'm interesting seeing that part of it. Well, they revealed like a picture of like maybe like a uh, you know like a religious painting of her or something like that, and it almost looks like the shroud of Torin, but like you know like with a female form inside or something. So it's it's got an interesting like religious aspect to it. Yeah, I got a Virgin Mary esque type vibe, even though that's not at all what it looks like. It just there's photos that we have in the Catholic Church, and it, it gave me a, a Virgin. It's the mother. It's like. Mother Miranda, it's definitely the mother. Right. So that's what I got from it. Um, and I'm just wondering if, because the big titty vampire lady answers to this one. So how big of a figure is she? Is she literally big or is she just super powerful? It's going to be really interesting to know. Yeah, and um, I just want to bring up while we're on this segment, uh, why was it, Urena, that you wanted this information brought up again? What was it you told me in the in the, the chat about why you wanted this information brought up to the, the <laughs> listeners? I literally just wanted another excuse to talk about the big titty vampire lady, so. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's all. It had, no, it had nothing to do with the maps. I didn't give a shit about the maps, okay? <laughs> that's, that's, that's Honestly, people, whenever I heard this, I was like, I was reading this, I was like, what does she want me to read out of this? And then when I said, I was like, oh, okay, you just, that makes sense, all right. Damn it, Reverend. Mind your business, okay? <laughs> uh, the next story I'm going to bring up here for the news is that the uh, uh, going back to you know the Black Coat's daughter a little bit, the uh, American Horror Story finalists for the some of the the not the season that's coming up, but maybe future seasons have uh, been posted. Uh, according to the Dread Central, uh, Ryan Murphy recently polled fans about themes for upcoming storylines, and after narrowing down the selection, the two finalists right now are. Uh, American Horror Story Bloody Mary and American Horror Story Plague, which Urena does feature a medieval plague doctor as the image for that season. <laughs> <laughs> that is right up my alley. <laughs> well, <laughs> I would say so. Uh, Murphy was hoping that American Horror Story Christmas would make the cut because he really, really wants to make a horror Christmas uh 
you know, version of this. But he says that even though it didn't win this time, don't rule it out because uh, there's no current end in sight for the series, and he has plenty of time to develop the Christmas horror story that he wants for the future. Hmm. Okay, hold on. I want to read this real quick. This is in relation to what we are talking about right now. And I don't know if you got all of these. There was a final four. Um, and I hope, I'm hope i hoping this article that I have has all of them. But the final four before it came down to Bloody Mary and the Plague was American Horror Story Aliens, Bloody Mary, Sirens, and Plague. And I don't know if you had seen some of the... Um, there was some photos that had come out on his Facebook page, for sure I'd seen it, and I'm sure Twitter, of Sirens. And so we really thought the next season was going to be Sirens. What it was, There is some artwork out there. Is that one about, like, mermaids of some kind? Or, yes. Okay. Yes. So, um, oh, yeah, and then it does say that um, the Christmas horror, which was the Xmas horror is how he described it, and Piggy Man, options have been removed from the poll after a week of fan voting. So there was also going to be a piggy man. I could see that being scary. There's a really popular game right now on, believe it or not, Roblox. You probably don't know too much about that, and you shouldn't, honestly. <laughs> My children just play it. And Piggy is based off of um, like a Peppa Pig character, which is a very, very young children's show that is very popular right now and has been for a long time, and it's fucking hilarious. It's British. Um and what Piggy is, it's basically evil characters from that children's show. Uh, and they basically, they will kill you if you don't kill them. So it's pretty cool. <laughs> well, when you mentioned like the, the pig man or Piggy or whatever, that kind of reminds me of uh, there's a, a, you know, being a huge Batman nerd, one of his, you know, scarier villains, if you want to get down to it, is the, is there's Professor Pig. And he's kind of like this serial killer that wears like a pig head, you know, like a, you know, the, yeah. and uh, I mean, it's, you know, freshly butchered and all that too. And then there is, um, there was a, there's an old horror movie called uh, Motel Hell that I believe one of the characters at the end runs around with a chainsaw and he's got like a freshly butchered pig, you know, head, you know, on, or mask on, you know, that, he, as, that he's wearing. So that kind of reminds me of those. Yeah, Professor Pig is disgusting. I'm looking at photos right now. Yeah, he, no, thank you. Yeah, I mean, he's one of the creepier aspects if you play, especially the Arkham games, because, I mean, it's an outright like horror, you know, story whenever you're following him because he's like leaving dead bodies in places and he's you know you know taunting you the whole way and it's it's a lot you know darker than like the riddler or any of those yeah um so if you had to pick of the two that the two finalists what would yours be and why i would want to go with plague because i i've had a morbid and this is really bad considering what we just went through but and probably and still going through technically but I've had a morbid obsession with the, you know, the Black Death my entire life. I don't know why. It's just when you read about like that, I mean, especially if you're a horror fan and you read about that time in history, it's the closest we've ever came in history to a true apocalypse. I mean, like literally the descriptions of the countryside, you know, being just full of dead bodies, like whole towns, like nobody there. I mean, it's 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 chilling. And I mean, it's kind of what, you know, obviously inspired the, the Mask of the Red Death by Poe. And that's that's one of his better stories, too. And uh, just if they did the plague one right and they kind of tapped into some of that stuff and truly played up the apocalypse part of it, I think that would be extremely interesting. Of course, I don't know, you know, pe people might be played out on that by now just because of what we're dealing with currently. But I mean, that's, you know, I, I just think that's an interesting concept. It's not really been looked into enough, you know. Yeah. Um, I'd have to agree with you, not just because of the plague doctor thing. I actually took into consideration the fact that, yeah, it might be played out. It's a little kind of cliche based on what we're going through right now, et cetera. But I just think there's so much historical background and lore that can make a full season versus I feel like an American Horror Story Bloody Mary season, which could be actually pretty fucking amazing, I don't know that there's enough behind it. I, I don't even think you could make, and, you know, I'm going to be in trouble tonight by this, but uh, I don't even think there'd be enough in a La Llorena season of American <laughs> Horror Story. You know, there's there's a lot of Mexican lore surrounding that, but I don't think enough to make a full season out of it. I think if nothing else, it would kind of turn into a, you know, that 80s American Horror Story season where they had the serial, you know, the killers and everything and I was getting ready to just. I was getting ready to say, and and I, and I mentioned this to you before, that that 
1984 is the one you're talking about, the, the you know, in the serial yes. killer. And the only reason that one worked, if it played on just the Jason stuff or whatever, you know, the, the camp killer thing, you know, there's several of those, Sleepaway Camp, all those. If it just played on those, then it would have been dull in like one or two episodes. And I think that's where you checked out because when you first watched it, you maybe went that far and that was the end of it. But they wrapped in so much other stuff later on that it went so far beyond that stuff initially that it was worth it. The only way Bloody Mary would work is if they did the same thing. They couldn't stick with Bloody Mary the entire time because it's like yeah. it's like the Candyman. It's it's interesting for you know a session or two, but you don't want to see like seven, ten episodes of just the same. You know somebody you know repeating it or her crawling out of mirrors or whatever you want to do with her. I mean, you have to wrap in something else to go along with it. Yeah, it's basically got to be like Bloody Mary and Friends. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody Mary and every with other... With special guest star, yeah. <laughs> with Candyman and every other creature that you can call from your mirror, so... <laughs> oh, my God. Um, the last thing I'm going to bring up, because this uh, kind of ties in to uh, a lot of other things that we've mentioned recently, is that I found out, uh, this is through Bloody Disgusting that I found this, My Best Friend's oh, yeah. Exorcism. Um, this what is the a, fuck? <laughs> this is a film version of the 2016 novel, which I was unaware of, of by Grady Hendrix, uh, as being developed currently. It's described as a mix of Beaches, of all things, and and <laughs> The Exorcist. Um, it's a novel. Uh, the novel and the film are uh, set during the 80s, during the Satanic Panic. Although they get the timeline wrong, because when I looked at it, it's late 80s, and I feel like Satanic Panic was more mid uh, or you know early to mid but anyways it's set during the late 80s during satanic panic and it's about a high school friendship that involves demonic possession <laughs> that's what it's described as it sounds cheesy as fuck already i'm just <laughs> gonna throw that out there okay it it could be and then it could transcend that and go into be a perfectly you know fun horror comedy it just kind of depends that those walk such a fine line they can go either way i was i was thinking about this the other day I, for whatever reason I put on like some of the free channels on Vizio whenever I was watching it one day and I put it over to their like little cult station and they's playing this horrible independent alien film called uh, Australians and it's like aliens at the end of it you know and it's set in Australia and it's supposed to be a horror comedy and it succeeds at neither it's, it's just an awful film you're just I was sitting there Aww. watching it I was just like okay they they tried walking the line and they they fell right on the knife so there you go. It's like that meme you have of the Simpsons cake, Bart Simpson holding that cake that says, at least you tried. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, this could go either way, and I don't, like, I don't really know, you know, how it's going to turn out, but I just thought it was interesting that they, you know, somebody would think to combine Beaches and The Exorcist. I was like, okay, that's a combination that we haven't heard of. And, hey, Satanic Panic, we've talked about that enough this season. Reverend, that is all you, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh Let's move on from that and get into the, the main discussion for the night. Uh, the movie we're discussing this evening is, is, of course, The Devil's Advocate, the 1997 horror uh, thriller film uh, directed by Taylor Hackford, uh, who was uh, known for An Officer and a Gentleman, and Dolores Claiborne. So that's another movie that he did that was a pseudo-horror movie, I guess. Um, uh, it was written by Jonathan Lempkin and Tony Gilroy. And it was based upon the 1990 novel by Andrew Niederman. Principal mm. players we have for this film are, of course, Keanu Reeves, who plays Kevin Lomax. Uh, it was Kevin Taylor in the novel. They kind of changed the name and some other things we'll get into later. Um, he plays the film's morally questionable protagonist. And we'll get into that, uh, why he's morally questionable. Uh, he, of course, is, I mean... If you don't know Keanu Reeves, I don't know what to tell you. Bill and Ted, Speed, Matrix, John Wick, Point Break, Constantine, which may or may not be, you know, discussed shortly. Uh, Dracula, the 1992 film, which <laughs> I get. Bram Stoker's Dracula. Bram Stoker's da Dracula. And um, just, I want to throw this comparison out here first. Before we get into the discussion of the movie, if we're talking about accents, Dr oh, Bram God. Stoker's Dracula probably the worst that Keanu's ever tried to do. It's it's like that still that surfer, you know, American yeah. trying to do a British accent. Ugh. Worst part of that film, <laughs> laughable. And then he turns around in this movie and I and, and to me and and this is saying something. I feel like, you know, I can speak on this. I feel like he pulled it off. It got thicker in parts and it was kind of weird. It kind of fluctuated. 
but it was it was enough to where I, I could believe it. it he, he played it light. He didn't go full bore with it, and I think that's what sold it to me, at least. Okay, then if that's the case, I'll allow it because he's supposed to be from Florida, right? Yeah, he's from Gainesville, which is kind of like the, you know, like northern tip, which is more like Georgia, if you want to call it that. I was going to say he had a Georgia accent. Okay, then it ties in. I was like, this sounds like a Georgia accent. He's supposed to be Florida. I don't know what kind of accents they have out there. <laughs> um, but I was like, okay, maybe, yeah. maybe uh, Georgia. Yeah, no- northern... Florida is considered basically Southern Georgia. I mean, that that's the running joke, the whole Florida-Georgia line, you know. Uh, I, I hate that band. I'm going to throw that out there. That's tangent. But anyways, <laughs> the, I mean, you know, it, it really is. It's like I think there was a the comedian, he's passed away, uh, that that uh, Tim, I can't remember his name offhand. But anyways, there uh, he there was a comedian, a Southern comedian, who made the joke about it. He's like, he sucked the, he, if you – farther north you go in Florida, the more it sounds like the deep south, and the farther south you go in Florida, it sounds like you're, uh, you know, uh, I think it's like in your, like, California or New York or something. It's and I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. So God, and New York has their own brand of accents, too, depending on where you're at, so. And it makes sense, because, I mean, mo- most of the transplants from New York moved to, like, Miami and stuff, so that makes sense why the accent changes so much, but, you know, anyways, it, mm-hmm. he, I, I, just throwing that out there about the accent, I feel like he served, he did a serviceable job in this movie. But piggybacking on that, the the last movie that I'm going to mention that he was in was The Gift, which is uh, uh, two thousand uh, from the year two thousand. Um, that's kind of a horror movie film that's more about like a, I think Kate Blanchett's like kind of a backwoods psychic or whatever. Her accent's great in that film, uh, and I guess it's because where she's uh, is she British, I think. Like is that she? I think she is, anyways. She's in the Lord of the Rings movies, but she's she's good in the movie. Uh, I don't know what happened to Keanu between this movie and that, but he goes too full bore into like the the thick Southern accent, and he doesn't quite pull it off. I don't think in that movie, or not, not like he does in this. Um, yeah, if he's gonna go with the light one like he did in this film that we're discussing. Yes, but thick, he doesn't have it. He's still got too much of a dude accent, even in his older years. Well, it, it sounded like a put-on, and I hate to say that, but it, I mean, and I don't know, I can't remember if that, I think that movie might have been set in more like Arkansas, Louisiana or something, but he went more for like... Arkansas. Yeah, and he went for more like, I want to say, you know, like the hillbilly accent, you know, more like accent you mm. hear me speaking with, but... He doesn't have it. It's That's too hard. Yeah, and, and it went, it was way too out there. It was like, I mean, it was, anytime you hear somebody putting on the accent, that's what it sounded like, you know, he was, you know, putting on just too much. Okay. Uh, next in the movie, we have Charlize Theron, who played Marianne Lomax. And Never heard of her. <laughs> she's not been in anything at all. Um, yep. Protagonist, uh, loving and perceptive wife in the movie. And, of course, Monster, Mad Max, Fury Road, Snow White and the Huntsman, Prometheus. Uh, that's a horror film that she was in. The Addams Family, she played Morticia in the animated film and in the upcoming sequel. So that's kind of cool. Um I don't know what you, I mean. There's not much you can say more about you. You can say about Charlize Theron. Everybody knows about her. She was also in a a, a good action film uh, recently called Atomic Blonde. If you haven't seen that, that's actually a pretty good just actiony film that she was in. She's the main star in that. But uh, as far as accents goes, and she's got good range. Yeah, and as far as her accent, I felt like even though it was thicker, I felt like it worked too. I mean, it. She did really good. Yeah. Um, Seemed more natural coming from her, and she's from South Africa, so <laughs> it was more natural from her. And the funny thing was, is that she it, that it was more consistent. I mean, it, she she kept it at the right amount throughout the whole movie. I mean, because there was yeah, it never ebbed and flowed. Yeah, there wasn't time. I mean, I, Keanu's like there were certain scenes when he was being like he was trying to match. Pacino, you know, as far as like being, you know, loud and like, you know, you know, that sort of thing, just bombastic, that it came out a little too or a little thicker than it than it did normally. But when he was talking, you know, just plain, you know, lines and all that, it, it sounded a little bit better. But anyways, yeah, hers was better in the movie, I thought. Um, we have Connie Nielsen, who plays Christabella Andreoli, um, the seductress and temptress of the movie. Uh, half loose woman, loose woman, uh, half sister to Kevin and a Nephilim. That's a 
fun yeah. little thing that we talked about earlier. Um, mm-hmm. She's been in several movies that I didn't even realize she was in. She was uh, Gladiator was in one of the films she was in earlier. But the ones I didn't realize is that she actually plays um, the mother to Gal Gadot in the Wonder Woman movies and in the Justice Leagues, all the variations there there thereof that that's out there now. My God. She plays Queen Hipp- Hippolyta or Hippolyta or however you say her name, but she she plays the queen in that movie of, of the Amazonians. And I thought I was like, really? And then I got to look, I was like, yeah, I guess it is her. Yeah, I didn't recognize. I mean, we forget how long ago this movie was made compared to now. And yeah, completely different character, but still a great actress. Yeah, and um, I mean, clearly she's uh, you know moved on to some big things. I mean, being in some of those DC movies. I mean, those have to be pretty big paychecks. Uh, yeah, definitely. Oh, my God, there she is. <laughs> uh, we have Craig T. Nelson, who plays Alexandra Cullen, the scumbag and ultimate test of Lomax's uh, vanity slash, uh, you know, uh, ability to win cases. And, uh, of course, if anybody sees Craig T. Nelson and doesn't think coach, then, A, you're probably a young person, and, B, uh, you know, I don't I, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, he, he was coach. You might be too young for this show. Yeah, but he was coach, and everybody knows that. <laughs> uh, he's also the, the father in The Incredibles, uh, Mr. Incredible in that film. And, of course, a movie that we're going to discuss, No Ifs, Ands, or Buts, he was in Poltergeist. And uh, so he was the father in that, and we'll definitely be seeing him again. Judith Ivey plays Alice Lomax, mother to the protagonist and the moral center of the movie. And um, I feel like she did a pretty, uh, a really good Southern accent as well. But I kind of feel like, and I don't have anything to base this on because I looked for movies that I thought, because I thought I'd seen her in something before. But I didn't really notice any of the movies that she was in as ones that I've seen. But I kind of feel like she, and maybe I'm wrong in this, but she kind of gave me the vibe that she actually does have a Southern accent. And that's kind of what helped her in the role. Yeah. I'm going to have to agree with you on that one because uh, with Charlize, even though hers was consistent, you still knew she was acting. Probably because we've seen her in a lot more films, though, to be fair. Right. Um, but this woman, it just looked and came out way too natural. Yeah, she, I mean, you truly believed that she was from the South or at least, you know, at some, at, at some point in her life, she's lived there enough to get the accent. I mean, yeah, and she actually was in Rose Red. I, I don't remember what part she played in that, but that's a Stephen King film or miniseries that was on, I think, like ABC at some point, like the '90s. And I thought it was it was fairly good for the time. I've I've not went back and watched it, so it might not hold up that well. But at the time, I thought it was fairly well put together. Yeah, and I don't think I've seen that one honestly. It's more of a haunted house film. Um, it, yeah, and it's it's got it's about like a house that. I, I think they've done it since then, like the haunting, but like a house that kind of collects the souls of the people that it kills or whatever. You know, it's one of those movies. <laughs> American Horror Story. Yeah, that that, and of course the the you know the new haunting series on Netflix. It's all that stuff. Um, we have Jeffrey Jones as Eddie Barsoon, and he serves as the warning to Lomax and as the instigator of Lomax's uh, ultimate downfall, really. But um, he, I, you've seen him in something if you've watched any movies at whatsoever, even if you're younger, because he was in Ferris Bueller, obviously, as the, you know, the principal in that. Uh, he was in Beetlejuice as the dad. He was Lydia's father in that one. Uh, he's in a movie that we'll be discussing shortly called Stay Tuned. Uh, he plays another demonic character in that. Uh, Sleepy Hollow, he was one of the, the main councilmen or fathers of the town in that movie, and that's, the, of course, the Johnny Depp version. Uh, he was in Ravenous, which I've not, I have to say, I've not actually seen that movie, so I need to watch that at some point in time. I haven't seen that either, yeah. Uh, he was in Ed Wood, played a big point or part in that, so apparently he's, uh, at least at one point in time, he was an actor that really, uh, you know, worked well with Tim Burton, or Tim Burton appreciated. Yeah, I was going to say, he was on Tim Burton's radar. <laughs> yeah, uh, Transylvania 6-5000, which is kind of a horror comedy movie with a lot of well-known people from back in the 80s. Um, My Bloody Valentine 3D, which also stars Jensen Ackles, uh, if we're going to go back to another reference. (laughs) And I I have, going back to the discussion we had before, before we got into the show, I'd, this one's harder to, to see as like an off-world Dean because this character is a little bit different in all aspects. But, you know, I guess if you want to really stretch your head around that and then make it make it so, then you can. But My Bloody Valentine 3D with Jits and Ackles is, a, is, you know, a different film as far as like how his character goes. 
Okay. So Jeffrey Jones, like I said, been in everything. The bad thing about Jeffrey Jones is, it's that like within the last 10 years, maybe it's been past 15, he came, it's been discovered that he was a pedophile in real life. So he's oh, got a no. severe bad mark on him as far as, you know, when I see him now, it's hard not to think of that. Uh, and it, Ew, it, you know what? I did not know that about him, but he's always put given me that vibe. He, that's what I was going to say. If you ever watch any of his movies, especially, especially Ferris Bueller, it's like you watch that movie and you're like, yeah, I kind of see that now that it's you know really came out. But you, you, I don't know. It's 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 bad because it's it kind of you know puts that bad you know you know just feeling about everything whenever you go back and watch some of his movies that he was in, especially he's. He was in like one that I remember watching as a kid called Mom and Dad Save the World or something like that or Save the Earth. It's like him and like this, and, and he's like the dad in the, in the movie, and, and they're like, and it's kind of like a kid's film, and the fact that it's a kid's film and what he, you know, the fact that he's a pedophile in real life, I don't know. It's, 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 it's got a real bad look now. So, anyways, um, I don't know. Had you heard that about him or, or heard anything mm-hmm. like that? This is the first time hearing about it. When did you, when did you know about this? I think it came out, I mean, whenever it came out a few years, or it was like a year or two after that, I think my wife brought it up to me and like mentioned it. She's like, did you know that the, you know, the dad from Beetlejuice was this way? And I was like, oh my God. And I was like, I always suspected, but I was like, I always hoped that that wasn't the case. Um, but yeah, whenever I was watching this film, it just brought all that back, remembering that. And if you read the story, it's pretty bad. It was like a real young kid. I want to say it was like nine or 10. So, I mean, oh my God, which is actually the age of the character that, this movie starts, you know, this movie starts out about a story about a pedophile and that's yeah. about the age of the girl and that. So it's, Oh you know, really? Yeah. So that's kind of the actress that plays the character. She just came off as older. <laughs> yeah. No, it had to no, be what, at like at least junior high. Well, no, he's supposed to be eighth grade. So I take that back. There was, what I'm thinking okay. of is at the end of the film, they mentioned that he had a 10 year old dead girl in his trunk. Uh, that's yeah you know, okay there yeah you go. so that that's what i'm thinking of but anyways that it, i don't know it all mixes to make the horrible you know just thing to think about um but moving on to the the best part of the movie honestly is al pacino who plays john milton um who plays the charismatic old scratch himself um <laughs> and i would describe him as the heart of the film and he obviously has the best scenes in the film uh we'll get that out there up front before we discuss anything else i mean if you watch this movie for anything else watch it for al pacino and just enjoy every minute that he's in the movie uh, <laughs> and if you don't know al pacino then i don't know what rock you're living never heard yeah, of i don't know what rock you're living under with him either because it's uh the godfather scarface sin of a woman heat uh, and uh, re- more recently, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which, you know, do you know what that movie's about, Urena? Yes, I do. <laughs> I have not watched it. <laughs> the husband watched it. He, I think the husband had a hard time watching it, though, and I forgot what his reasoning was. But there was something specific about it that he had a hard time watching it. But um, if anybody doesn't know, it, it, it kind of plays into an alternate world reality of the Manson murders and, you know, what might have transpired if somebody else had been there the night to kind of keep, you know, Sharon Tate from going through all of her, you know, what, what happened to her. So it's kind of interesting that we, you know, go through Rosemary's Baby and all that. And then, of course, we got Al Pacino starring in a movie that's, you know, about, you know, Roman Polanski's real life, you know, that kind of happened afterwards. So that's kind of an interesting yeah. twist. Um, other characters in the film, uh, Jackie Heath, uh, she's the next door neighbor. I didn't look, you know, uh, I didn't look up their names for some of these actors and actresses. Uh, Pam Garrity is the mirror lady toward the end of the film, and we'll get into who she <laughs> is. And uh, Lehman Heath is the one that hires Kevin, which there's a, you know, kind of an interesting little bit of racism that happens whenever he first pops up on the screen, but we can get into that a little bit later. But um, I don't, we'll just go into the film. If you enjoyed this episode of Death Holler, The Devil's Advocate, Part 1, please look out for Part 2 coming soon. Death Holler is brought to you by Blue Collar BS with your host, the Reverend Dr. Death and La Arena. Please like, subscribe, follow, and share. We'll catch you next time. And don't forget to bring your death certificate.